Hello and welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. My guest is Dr. Ali Bakir, a MENA region political analyst and consultant based in Doha. He has contributed a chapter to Divided Gulf, The Anatomy of a Crisis, published by Palgrave Macmillan. Our conversation today focuses on the politics of energy in the Middle East. Ali, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for hosting me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And a pleasure for me, too. Now, I was struck by a sentence in, in a recent uh, Responsible Statecraft article that you co-wrote with, uh, with Dylan uh, Yachishin. And the sentence is this, Eastern Mediterranean energy politics drives Turkish involvement in Libya. Uh, bearing in mind that uh, Turkey has done a deal with the Government of National Accord in Tripoli that uh, lays claim to energy resources in the Eastern Mediterranean, can you expand a little bit on that sentence? Well, uh, it is uh, one factor, yes, but uh, it doesn't tell the whole story, of course. I mean, uh, uh, for decades, there were attempts to isolate Turkey in the Eastern Mediterranean region and uh, uh, deprive it from its right to utilize the natural resources there. This became clearer after the unilateral measures taken by um, uh, Cyprus and the discoveries of the gas in the East Med. And this has been going on since at least uh, 2002. I mean, uh, at that time, Cyprus decided to take unilateral measures uh, with the support of Greece and uh, uh, EU and uh, make delimitation agreements with uh, with Egypt, for example, in 2003, with Lebanon in 2007, and with uh, Israel in 2010. All these agreements violated the rights of Turkey and the Turkish Cypriots. So... Uh, in 2013, for example, EU uh, designated the controversial East Mediterranean pipeline. And uh, two years later, uh, the EU um, uh, funded a study on that pipeline while completely disregarding Turkey and its interest there. Only after uh, uh, four years after that, a group of countries established the, the East Mediterranean Gas Platform in Egypt, which is uh, recently turned into an uh, organization. And uh, they invited uh, even countries from outside the East Mediterranean region. They uh, intentionally disregarded Turkey and tried try to isolate it. So this is when uh, Ankara realized that it should do something in order to prevent the fate accompli. And it figured out that... Uh, the only way to shuffle the cards and secure its interest and uh, the interest of the Libyan people is to reach the limitation uh, agreement with the UN recognized government in Tripoli. And uh, this is what happened. I mean, no one expected that uh, Turkey would do this. But uh, again, this is where, where, where things uh, started to uh, get mixed. And not so many countries, I would say, were happy with this Turkish step, especially those who were supporting General Haftar to overthrow the UN-recognized government in Tripoli and take uh, control of Libya by force, such as um, France and the UAE in particular. Uh, both uh, countries proved to, to be uh, problematic and tried to take uh, revenge by escalating the situation in the Eastern Mediterranean and supporting Greece against Turkey. And, and this was uh, when things started to escalate in the region. This was very dangerous, of course. It's very complex and... Uh, uh, very complex uh, situation, yes. But as you say, it was Turkish concerns about Eastern uh, Mediterranean 
gas and their rights to what they feel are their rights that led them then into the deal with the GNA, but also then into the war itself. And it was Turkish intervention that really turned the tide against Haftar. So, so let me ask you this. Do you think that it is primarily energy concerns that are driving Turkish foreign policy in the region? Energy concerns are uh, one factor, I would say. Uh, of course, they are not the, the only reason. I mean, uh, Turkey, for example, wants to defend its sovereign rights and uh, uh, utilize them uh, while seeking to diversify its energy imports and uh, uh, depends less on Russia and Iran. Because, as you know, Turkey imports uh, more than 90% of its energy needs and uh, most of these, uh, this percentage coming uh, from Russia and Iran in the past. So this was a kind of uh, constraining uh, factor in the Turkish politics, especially in the regional competition with, with Iran and uh, Russia. So uh, one priority for Turkey was to depend less on Russia and Iran, and the other one is to diversify energy imports. And the third is to, uh, of course, defend its sovereign rights and utilize them. But the main reason is that, in my opinion, I think after the... Uh, the Arab revolutions, many Arab regimes, as you know, decided not to let people take control of the power. And thus, uh, those Arab regimes proved to be ready to kill their own people and destroy their countries. And uh, after uh, 2011, many failed states emerged in the uh, region near Turkey. And this created a huge vacuum in the region that uh, directly affected Turkey in a very negative way, especially on uh, economic and security levels. So uh, the militarization of the region at that time, especially after the intervention of uh, Russia in 2015 and also United States and uh, with the Iranian expansionist effort, Turkey thought that the best way to defend itself and its instruments is to go for forward defense, I would say. Uh, many experts, of course, are misinterpreting it as an expansionist effort, but this is this is not at least from the Turkish perspective, of course. Well, that's an interesting uh, phrase, uh, forward defense. Uh, let me ask you about the recent normalization deal that the UAE and Israel have signed. Uh, it's created opportunities for the UAE in the Mediterranean, and you mentioned that in the article. Uh, DP World is bidding to manage the port in Haifa. How is Turkey likely to interpret that move? And and how concerned do you think the Turks are by the uh, so-called Abraham Accords? Let me say first that uh, when it comes to UAE, uh, it's not a priority on Turkish foreign policy agenda usually. Uh, many experts tend to exaggerate the power of UAE by, by defining it as a rival for, for Turkey, but this is not the situation, at least from the Turkish perspective. So I would say that as, as uh, one Western diplomat told me, uh, last week. UAE is more like an annoying mosquito to Ankara, but uh, it can be poisonous though. So this is when it comes to the perspective of how Turkey is, is uh, perceiving uh, UAE. But uh, coming to DP taking Haifa port, for example, along with other expected measures, uh, I think that these measures will probably uh, negatively affect Egypt rather than Turkey. For example, and you may know that the Ilat uh, uh, Ashkelon pipeline, uh, which is destined to carry oil from the Gulf and Israel to from the Gulf region actually to Israel and from there to uh, the European market, 
uh, will bypass Swiss Canal and deprive Egypt from a lot of hard currencies. And, and at, at this point, the Egyptians will need to give more concessions, in my opinion, to Israel. And uh, the, as Sisi did before, he relinquished some of the Egyptian rights to Saudi Arabia and later on in the Eastern Mediterranean to Greece and Cyprus. So Turkey, of course, is opposing closer rapprochement between UAE and Israel, but not because Turkey doesn't want UAE to establish relations with the uh, uh, with Israel. I mean, as everyone knows, Turkey recognizes Israel, uh, but right now uh, they have no ambassador uh, in Tel Aviv since 2018, I think. The main issue for the Turks is to support the Palestinian rights and the rights of the Palestinians to establish their own state uh, in accordance, of course, with the uh, UN Security Council resolutions and the international law. And in this sense, uh, Turkey believes that the Abraham Accord or deal is uh, jeopardizing the peace process and is threatening the Palestinian rights. Uh, and uh, in that sense also, Turkey was opposing UAE putting more pressure on the Palestinians and destroying the Arab initiative that uh, was uh, uh, launched uh, during the period of the, or the era of uh, King, late King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia. Yes, the, the Arab Peace Initiative, which called for East Jerusalem as the capital and, uh, and the West Bank along the 1967 lines, a, a fully independent state, in effect, uh, with, with the Israelis evacuating their settlements. That seems increasingly unlikely now, given the normalization with the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, and uh, it seems uh, Sudan. But, you know, you mentioned that the... Uh, uh, <laughs> The idea that uh, the UAE is a, is a mosquito and, and, and something of an annoyance with perhaps a, boys, a poisonous a sting. But isn't it also the case that uh, the UAE could damage Qatar if, for example, they have access to the eastern Mediterranean? Because, of course, there is this rivalry, this bitter rivalry between the Emiratis and Qatar. How much of a role is energy playing in this bitter feud? Look, of course, Turkey. Uh, uh, I mean, Qatar is is uh, is trying to establish itself as a credible uh, energy power in the region and in the world, and that's why when uh, UAE, along with other countries such as Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Egypt, imposed a blockade on on uh, Qatar in two thousand seventeen, uh, Doha could uh, have simply uh, cut the gas supplies to UAE and use this as a weapon, but uh, it didn't. Uh, unlike UAE and Saudi Arabia. That's the uh, Dolphin Pipeline, which ships uh, natural gas from Qatar to the United Arab Emirates. Despite the land, air and sea blockade of Qatar that was implemented by the uh, Saudis and the United Arab Emirates in 2017, the Qataris have continued to ship natural gas to the United Arab Emirates. True. Now, the outside players, I mean, there is this kind of a vacuum now with the American withdrawal from the Middle East, which began under Obama and it continues certainly accelerated under Trump. And we don't yet know whether Biden, if he becomes president, will change or alter that strategy. But what, some of the other big outside players, the Russians, the French, I mean, how are they looking at, at energy and seeing how they might use it as, as, as a political weapon, if you will? 
Well, um, Russia has always used uh, um, energy as a political weapon, and this is one reason why Turkey uh, doesn't trust Russia on this side and was trying to diversify, as we explained before, its energy and resources and uh, depend uh, less on Russia and Iran. In fact, uh, last year, uh, Azerbaijan took Russia's uh, place as uh, the top uh, gas exporter for Turkey. And uh, this was quite significant in this uh, sense, especially with the current uh, conflict that is happening in the uh, Southern Caucasus between uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia. Now, uh, when it comes to the Eastern Mediterranean uh, complex uh, situation, Russia is not much in the news regarding the energy resources, but this is only because Russia uh, doesn't want to be in the news in this case. So, as you know, Russia is the major uh, gas uh, provider for Europe. It has the biggest gas reserves in the world. And... Its interests are mainly, first, not to allow others to jeopardize its position, especially vis-a-vis -vis Europe, and second, to keep its hands on the valves everywhere in that region. And uh, this is something that uh, Russia has been quietly uh, doing without much uh, noise. Uh, for example, in Egypt, Russia has bought 30% stake from ENI in 2017 in Zohar's massive gas field. Also, Russia is exporting gas to Europe via Turkey South Stream pipeline. Uh, Russia is present in Cyprus and Greece in the form of laws and finance. Russia also has uh, investments in uh, Egypt's energy sector. Russia is right now controlling Syria and uh, Syria has the right, whether it's now or later, to delimit its uh, maritime borders to look for gas. And also the Russian companies are uh, expressing their will to participate in Lebanon's oil and gas drilling. So besides this, also, Russia is uh, present in the region elsewhere, in Iraq, I think, and in other places. I mean, Gazprom and uh, Rosenfeld have, has, have been expanding their operations in the region. So right now, Russia is not losing anything from the rising conflict uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean. On the contrary, I think the, the, as the conflict deepens between the Europeans and the Americans, uh, and the Americans are taking more hostile anti-Turkey position, uh, this will unfortunately push uh, Turkey towards Russia and cause cracks in the, uh, in, in the EU and in the NATO also, which is something good for Russia, but not good for everyone else. So the Russians are playing patiently and under the uh, radar not to be visible, but they are benefiting, of course, from, from the conflict that has been going for some time there. Mm, interesting. A, a long game then, uh, but a quiet strategy in, a, in playing it. What about China? What are the Chinese up to in regard to energy deals? Because, of course, they need uh, oil, gas, and they come to the Middle East to get it, don't they? Well, well uh, yes, uh, China uh, tries to expand its... Uh, China is trying to expand its influence in the Middle East. Uh, especially with the U.S. Uh, decline in the region. China is a huge consumer of energy resources, whether, uh, whether uh, oil or gas, and China definitely needs more uh, oil and gas to keep the momentum of its uh, 
development strategy uh, and its uh, economy. So China has been trying to uh, utilize the situation in the region and the U.S. retreat, if I would say, in the last decade by signing more uh, economic deals, mainly with countries uh, of the region as a part of the Belt and Road uh, Initiative. Lately, for example, uh, Beijing bought uh, 49 stake in one of uh, UAE's Admos projects with around $10 billion. But uh, China is not directly involved in the competition over resources in Eastern Mediterranean, but China is definitely uh, is in the competition to seize more of the stakes of the oil and gas stakes in the region. I mean, right now, most of the, and as I noted before, most of the Gulf region output of oil and gas is going actually to East Asia and mainly to China. And so China has an interest to secure those resources for the future. And this also raises the question of whether China will be able or will be willing to pay for the security of its energy uh, resources in the region right now uh, the US is paying the the, the, the most share to secure uh, oil and gas uh, in the region but uh, there will come a time where China uh, maybe will have to contribute more in order to secure its uh, imports from the region but do you see the Chinese because of course the Russians have committed militarily uh, in the region in Syria and backing Haftar in Libya, do you think the Chinese would engage militarily as part of that plan to protect their interests? Well, um, my own opinion on this uh, matter is that the Chinese are not yet ready to play uh, such role. Uh, even if they are willing, they are not ready. But also there is a question about their will. I mean, whether they will want to, to militarily expand in the region or not. But they will like... Uh, many uh, navy operations, let's say, to mainly uh, combat pirating in the region, Gulf of uh, Oman and the uh, coast uh, in front of uh, Yemen and uh, Somalia. But beyond that, uh, they don't have concrete military uh, strategy in this regard. Of course, uh, the political position of China has been developing uh, in a negative way in the region. Uh, I mean, China was always posed as a neutral player, but in my opinion, China is not neutral anymore. I mean, since 2011 and the revolution against the Syrian revolution against the Assad regime, China has been backing Assad strongly, whether in the UN uh, Security Council or in the uh, on the ground. So uh, China was committed to support Assad regime, and this is not a neutral position in any way. Also in uh, Libya, since you have mentioned uh, Libya, uh, China was a main uh, supplier for Haftar with the, with the killer drones. Uh, uh, it's right that probably China didn't sell those uh, drones to Haftar directly. They came through UAE, uh, as we all know. But still, uh, I mean, China was uh, present in a way or another on uh, the military front uh, in Libya. And uh, China also... Uh, I believe secures most of the out, uh, Iraqi oil output, so it has more interest and more motives probably to try to fill the vacuum there if the U.S. completely withdraw. But I, at at the current moment, this is a 
probably far-fetched idea. As I said before, the Chinese are not willing or yet ready to do such a step when it comes to the military power. The temperature does seem to be rising in that contestation over the eastern Mediterranean and in this wider regional tussle. How concerned are you that this could lead to some sort of direct military confrontation? And if so, who would the Turks be up against and who would be supporting them? The the tension is uh, in the eastern Mediterranean especially is, is very concerning indeed. Uh, why? Because any slight miscalculation can from anyone and it can lead to uh, disastrous unintended confrontation and uh, in my opinion this is uh, largely driven by two main factors first the unconditional support of the U- of the European Union for Cyprus and Greece even when they take uh, unilateral measures as we explained before that violates uh, Turkey's rights in the Eastern Mediterranean and uh, this has been the case for more than two decades at least i mean uh, this policy dry, uh, deprives uh, the EU from playing constructive role in bridging the gap between Greece and Turkey and uh, also deprives EU from reaching an acceptable solution for both sides. So uh, in this sense, it uh, emboldens Greece and Cyprus and uh, encourages them to escalate versus Turkey because they know that EU will support them anyway and thus there, the, uh, there is no motive for them to reach a deal with Ankara. So uh, this is one reason why, why, why things are escalating uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean. The second factor, in my opinion, is that uh, countries that are not naturally and geographically, I would say, part of the East Mediterranean region are playing a very negative role, such as France and UAE. Those countries have no direct interest uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean, and as I said, they are not a part, a uh, natural part of that region, so they have they have no motive to de-escalate the situation. On contrary, they, their interests actually lie uh, in uh, escalating the situation, and we saw that uh, France has uh, benefited from uh, pushing Greece to escalate versus Turkey by selling it more military uh, equipments, uh, fighter jets, and probably uh, there were negotiations uh, about uh, possible uh, French military base in the region also. And the same when it comes to UAE. I mean, UAE was foreign policy is feeding on, on creating crisis and uh, problems in the region, whether in North Africa, in Eastern Mediterranean, in the Gulf, uh, in uh, Somalia, in uh, Sudan and Horn of Africa, and everywhere in the region. So uh, when it comes to Turkey, uh, Turkey has no choice but uh, to defend itself. Turkey is in a very defensive position, actually, regardless of what you are seeing on the ground, as as some might explain an expansionist uh, action. But Turkey in a very defensive uh, position right now. Uh, many countries are trying to isolate it, uh, whether in the eastern Mediterranean, whether in uh, its southern uh, borders uh, along Syria and Iraq. And uh, uh, there is no way uh, Turkey or any other country in Turkey's position to accept such a situation. So I think Turkey will, will defend its rights firmly and strongly uh, whether this was related to Erdogan or any other politician, because many in the West are thinking that this Turkish position is strictly 
related to the character of the Turkish president. But in my uh, own opinion, I don't think that this is the case. And if they were reading like this, they were they are in uh, they are explaining it very wrongly. Ali, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bill. Always happy to be with you. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Dr. Ali Bakir, a MENA region political analyst and consultant based in Doha. He's contributed a chapter to Divided Gulf, The Anatomy of a Crisis, published by Palgrave Macmillan. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to ArabDigest.org. If you're a student, we have a new rate of £10 a month or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we're now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.